When you grow a garden with Schultz products, you reap a bountiful crop of benefits for your customer and your business. The signature dropper applicator allows you to feed every time you water. Just seven drops per quart of water delivers vital micronutrients every time you feed. Schultz Liquid Plant Food is available through hardware co-ops and lawn and garden distributors nationwide. For more information, go to knoxfurt.com Schultz. Hello to all of our wonderful Taking Care of Business podcast listeners. My name is Renee Shagnon, and I'm the Retail Engagement Specialist for NHPA, the producer of this podcast, and one of the rotating hosts that has had the honor of interviewing so many great guests in 2022. It's crazy to think that the year is coming to an end, and we're about to be starting a new year of podcasting. Before your winter holiday season takes over, our team thought it would be fun to showcase some clips from a few of our most popular and highly listened to episodes in 2022. The team at NHPA has had the honor of talking to so many great people since we first started podcasting in 2019. This year, Taking Care of Business released 22 episodes, including this one. We shifted our focus to have a rotating roster of hosts, featuring Dan Trottencheck, of course, along with myself, and then Melanie Mal and Lindsay Thompson guest-hosted some episodes as well. This year, we interviewed so many fascinating people, including a large selection of independent retailers talking about a variety of topics, as well as leaders of wholesalers and co-ops, and experts in the paint and hardware industry. In today's episode, I'll be sharing clips from five of the most listened to episodes of 2022. If something intrigues you and you want to hear more, I'd suggest going back and listening to any of the podcast episodes you missed. And while you're at it, feel free to listen to any of the other episodes not featured today. First up, we're going to listen to a clip from episode 57, which was released in February of 2022. In this episode, Dan has a conversation with Ryan Staggs, a brewer from High Cotton Brewery, a craft brewery in Memphis, and they talked about how Orgel leaders were coming together to tour the brewery. They had clients with them um, who were in town, and the idea came about to uh, have their own beer-crafted private label and have that available at the Orgel market, which would be the first one in person since everything with COVID, and it was to celebrate the 175th anniversary of Orgel. It was pretty exciting. After Dan talked with Ryan, he then spoke with Boyden Moore, the president and CEO of Orgel. Tune in now as they talk about how the craft beers came about and the significance of each beer. Let's talk a little bit about this idea to commemorate that and to commemorate some some of Orgel's meaningful leadership uh, with 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 beers. Where did that idea even come up? Yeah, well, like Ryan said, we had we had some customers in town. that uh, we brought down to the brewery to tour as part of, uh, you know, just having some fun in Memphis together. And uh, Ryan did a great job uh, walking us through what he's doing here at High Cotton. We had a great afternoon with about 12, 12 customers that were in a, in a group that they happened to all be customers of us, ours, and, and they had their meeting in Memphis. And uh, one of those customers, uh, while we were, were here, uh, tasting the beer and listening to Ryan about how uh, what he goes through making it. Uh, we were talking about 175th anniversary of uh, Oracle, and he said, "You know, you should get you should get him to make a beer for you." Yeah. So what a great idea! And so literally same day, I was like, "Hey, man, what do you think about this?" And Ryan Ryan was in. So uh, we uh, then that evolved from well, I, why have one? You know, uh, we should have two and. We had, we had lost uh, Mike McDonald just in the fall. Right. And, of course, Joe Orgel had passed away 
a little more than three years ago. Um, and that generation of leadership of the, of the business, that fourth generation had really been the generation that took Orville to, to what we are today. Right. And so having the idea to, uh, to commemorate those two men who led that growth, uh, you know, I don't know. It was a bunch of us just sitting around talking about it really. And, um, so then we, we, uh, brought a bunch of folks down to the brewery and tasted all of Ryan's, uh, beers to see which ones might. Well, you got to do a lot of research. Yeah. You uh, gotta, you you gotta, you know, you don't just do something halfway, right? (laughs) Right. You want to do it right. So, so we, we, uh, we spent some time trying to think which, which of his beers most closely resembled the men we knew, uh, (laughs) Joe Joe and Mike and Mike. And, uh, so we felt like, uh, a smooth lager was, was Joe. Joe was a smooth guy and <laughs> a strong ale was Mike. And uh, so, you know, before we got any further down the road, I, <laughs> I actually reached out to the family and said, uh, yeah. hey, you know, we, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think about this? And they said, oh, we, we think that's pretty cool. So, oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. yeah. So we've had a lot of fun with it. Uh, and uh, shout out to our friends at Rings Inn, our customers there. Um, Colin uh, Campbell and Rob Campbell Jr., who were who were the ones that really had the idea pushing me to go do it, and I'll I'll take a minute to say that all of our best ideas actually come from our customers, <laughs> not really ours. But this is another example of that. And one hundred percent of your best alcohol related ideas. Usually that's come uh, from the uh, well, that's probably true. <laughs> this next clip comes from episode fifty-eight, which was released in March twenty twenty-two. In it, Dan talks with Nick Tallarico, vice president of e-commerce for Do It Best. They chat about how the pandemic changed consumer shopping habits and how if you don't have a digital presence, you're falling behind. Listen to this clip as they delve more into the importance of e-commerce and changing online shopping habits. Let's talk a little bit about Do It Best's e-commerce initiatives. Why don't you tell us now you've stepped into this role uh, tell us a little bit about why is e-commerce right now such an important focus for Do It Best? Yeah, and so the first thing, Dan, would be that you know e-commerce is not new for Do It Best. Sure. We've been in e-commerce since uh, 1999, you know, and we've had a presence in that. But what we're talking about now is an enhanced focus, uh, additional resources to really drive and make sure our members can capitalize on what we're seeing out there in consumers' shopping behaviors. And I thought maybe one thing that we could we could talk about a little bit was the difference between online shopping and online buying. Okay. Because yeah. to, to me, there's, a, diff, there's a, a really important difference. I think you might hear that we're doing this new initiative is all about making sure customers have an ability to buy online. Sure, customers are going to buy online. But when I get home at night and I'm getting ready for bed, I'm pulling out my phone and I'm shopping, even if I don't click the buy button, specifically on wants, maybe not needs. Yeah. But if you think of how our some of our best members uh, operate, they have those wants. What are they known for? And they're focusing, we should focus on that, on what are those customers want so so that we can take up mind share on people shopping online. Then they can drive consumers into their store and then help them 
and, and add additional value there. So why are we doing it now? We see a tremendous growth opportunity here. Uh, Dan Starr, our president and CEO, was in a podcast not too long ago talking about it. I was going to reiterate it. $100 billion in retail, in e-commerce by 2024. And 50% of that is going to be buy online, pick up and store, BOPUS. So that's a huge number. There's an opportunity out there for independent retailers, especially in BOPUS, especially in same-day in-store pickup. Where I think independent retailers can really differentiate themselves from our competition is when those customers enter the store. And what our research has shown is 50 to 85% of all shoppers make additional purchases right. when picking up in the store. That's a huge opportunity for those add-on sales. And then I just think we all have to, as independent retailers, have the scale to complete, compete with significant competitors in the marketplace. So there's an opportunity for sure. And then the other side is, is you know, Dan, out of fear. You're either selling on greed or you're selling on fear. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think if there's anything the pandemic's taught us is consumer shopping behaviors are going, they have changed, they're going to stay this way. Right. They use e-commerce today. They've made new habits. These are not going away. And your competitors are doing it. So at the end of the day, our view is it's just commerce. Right. That It's just commerce. It needs to be woven into the fabric of your business. It's just commerce. Well, you know, you, you touched on a really uh, a number of topics there that I think are so important to, to, to underline. One is that if it wasn't too long ago that I was giving presentations in the industry where we were trying to convince retailers that they needed a website. When I say not too long ago, I'm talking about maybe three years ago. And I would get pushback from some retailers saying, oh, my customers don't want a website. Now, we're not even talking about e-commerce online. Yeah. And now this pandemic has accelerated so many trends and I've used this in, in, in some other scenarios where I talk about how my wife never, ever before the pandemic purchased groceries through an app or did online, pick, or, uh, online ordering and at-store pickup for groceries. Now, if my wife has to go to the grocery store for something, she's angry. She's like, oh, I forgot to put this in my order. And she's not, it's not because she's worried about being in contact, although we're still obviously dealing with a little bit of that, but it's because she found another way to engage in commerce. And that's not going to change whether the pandemic's here or not. So I think so many more retailers in home improvement have realized that the, the playing field is different now than it was two years ago. And, and, and your last comment there, again, is something else that I think is so important to realize. We're talking about commerce. We spend a lot of times talking about omnichannel or online versus brick and mortar, but the customers see it as I'm doing business with Dan's hardware or Renee's do it best or whatever it is. And, and they just want to be able to engage however they engage with all the retailers that they choose. So right now is the time when independent retailers really need to be looking in earnest on how do I expand my presence in this area? And from a perspective of not do I need to do it to keep up or be competitive, but also with that eye towards, hey, this could be an advantage for me. Wouldn't you agree that this could likely be an advantage for independent retailers as well? Oh, I, I wholeheartedly 
believe that this is a huge advantage for independent retailers. I think the pandemic, Dan, I think that did pull ahead some things that we were already seeing in sure. trends anyway in terms of customer demand. Uh, but but we were heading down this path already. I appreciate what you said. Now we have two things in common. We have music and guitars in common and, and wives that declared that they're never going into a grocery store Right again. Uh, same thing during the pandemic, especially at the time, Theo, our little one, was only three. And so it's hard going to a grocery store with a three-year-old. And she found a click list and never went back. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm glad you brought up, I'm glad you brought up grocery because I want to, I want to talk about, now this is just my opinion on this, but I mm -hmm. think if you compare the hardware industry to the grocery industry, hardware is positioned very well with groceries. Right. The last time I went into a grocery store, there were more people that worked in the store pulling orders than shoppers yeah. for those curbside deliveries, for those local deliveries. And to me, I sit back on, well, what's the, what's the impact to those impulse items? What are those, what is the impact to an Oreo? Right. Because I never intentionally go out to buy Oreos, but when I see them, when I'm walking through the store, they'll find their way into my yeah. cart. <laughs> so you think about grocery and the consumer's behaviors in that industry. And I think the grocery stores are, are having to do e-commerce because they don't have a choice. Their consumers have changed so much, they don't have a choice. But I bet if you asked them, they're not really thrilled about it because they've lost those add-on opportunities. Right. I don't see that in hardware. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of the pandemic, yes, there was a lot of curbside effort. And boy, all independent retailers moved quickly on that. But now... There's been some some regression there. People are coming into the stores generally. And so I think that is going to be an opportunity for, for independent retailers to work on service, to work on those uh, add-on sales opportunities. So it's not just we lost our impulse items due to, to curbside. Because I think, I think consumers have changed uh, in one big aspect. I don't even think it's convenience. I think it's time. So through the pandemic, like many others, so I should even say this, Dan, I traveled for the last five years. So I don't like, I don't like to go out to eat very often. We, I right. like to eat at home with my family. <laughs> but you. during the pandemic, we didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. We had to eat at home and then we had to rely on carryout. Well, this weekend we went and the kids want to do an indoor trampoline park. We did that on Saturday. And then we went to a local Chinese restaurant for the first meal in forever that we sat in a restaurant and it took forever. Yeah. And I said to my wife, this is why I love carryout. Mm -hmm. It's that value of time. And that I don't think is going back. I think consumers have changed fundamentally on that. And so I, I think uh, it's going to be an interesting opportunity for the coupling of retail folks in-person transactions with online.
Our third clip comes from episode 61 of the podcast, which features another leader from Do It Best. In this episode, Dan talks with Do It Best president and CEO Dan Starr about many things, including buying markets. They talk about the growth in the industry through the pandemic, how retailers are buying products, how independents focused on growth, and Do It Best's exciting decision to approach markets in a new way. In this clip, Dan Starr talks about the strength of independent retailers through the pandemic. You know, we just passed kind of the two year mark uh, officially of of kind of when the pandemic really took hold here in the U.S. I remember it was about mid-March when we actually shut down um, NHPA's offices. Uh Uh, So we're right at about two years there. Um, But so much has changed, Uh, you you know, and and we can talk about all the things that changed, but let's focus on the things that are changing in the industry. But what do you think that we've kind of, you know, you say it's been like 10 years and I don't disagree, but what have we kind of learned over the last two years about how things are changing? Yeah, I'll, I'll, and I'll hit a couple things on this, but I'm, I want to start with, uh, our, our independent retailers. Uh, So members of Do It Best Corp, I can speak to directly, but really I'm talking about independent dealers out there. Um, And I think what was demonstrated within the last two years is a tremendous amount of relevance and resilience. Mm -hmm. Two really good words to describe uh, what they were able to deliver in the last two years. It's one thing to aspire to a lot of different things. What they delivered was really remarkable. Uh, They had to act quickly. They had to act not just quickly, but inventively. Mm -hmm. They had to really bring uh, execution at retail in different ways. They were challenged in ways they never expected. I just think that they they really rose to the occasion. And as a result of that, ended up taking market share, which is really interesting. You and I talked two years ago, jokingly, about the death of independent retail. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's, it's funny because you heard that. No, is anybody saying that anymore? And I don't think that they are. I think part of that is just a knowing uh, sort of acknowledgement of how strong they performed over the course of that two-year period. It really is a remarkable – that's where I would want to start is just acknowledging tremendous amount of work. That's something that we've learned is there's a lot of fight and a lot of performance, particularly in independent business particularly in our industry. Well, you know, um, one of the things that we would always say when we're talking about the uh, strengths of independent retailers, and one of the things I'd like to point out is agility. And yeah. I think going into the pandemic, we would talk about agility, but it was it was not really, you know, as focused as we saw. And to just what, what you were just saying is I, I can say, you know, and I, I don't want it to sound patronizing, but I'm very proud of what independent retailers were able to do when, when just a few, it was shortly after or maybe right before when we had our first uh, podcast uh, that we had done research and found out that something like 75% of independent retailers had already implemented some kind of curbside pickup. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the great thing is when we talked to them about it, it wasn't like, oh, well, I, I set up e-commerce and I have this very sophisticated method. Some of them were like, here's my cell phone number. Give me a call and I'll meet you outside. But they were saying they they were agile and they're mm-hmm. saying, how do we respond right now? Because we don't have the elevation to say, oh, we'll figure this out over the next two to three to five years. It was right now. So exactly what you're saying, yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly with, is they should be very proud of the way they uh, in an agile way, responded to these shifting market demands. And I hope they kind of keep that 
in their modus operandi moving forward is that we got to have this same agility yeah. and, and practice that. So, uh, so if I can piggyback on that with another comment about how, particularly, I can speak more to how our members responded. I, I think another interesting thing that I learned was that um, you know we've we've been kind of on, on a growth path sure. for years preceding the pandemic. You know, we were we were on a real strong growth path, and uh, it was aided, of course, by by the pandemic. But what I find interesting about how our members responded to this was, particularly those who had a plan, mm-hmm. they already had a plan going into the pandemic that was growth oriented, and that they were going to focus on it. As soon as the pandemic hit, they might have needed to modify, they might have needed to just kind of adapt to circumstances a little bit to lean into what they had already predetermined sure. their path was going to be. Sure. And of course, if, if growth is your, is, is your path, yeah. then a lot <laughs> of what go. we've seen in the last two years aided in that. But, the, but, but those who were prepared, luck favors the prepared, you know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Those who were prepared, those who had a plan, those who were pursuing that, they adjusted with some things like you're, you're talking about, the agility to apply new things like curbside delivery or other other things, you know, um, passing out their cell phone number. It's it's a simple solution, very effective one at the same right. time. But they were able to adapt to those circumstances and pull them into predetermined growth plans. I think I think the other thing that that reveals is the importance of doing those things. Right. If all you were doing was reacting to the new pressures of the day, you probably feel beat up right now. Yeah. It's been pain. Well, actually, I sh- I shouldn't say it that way. Everybody feels a little bit beat up. I think it was particularly hard on folks who felt like I, I'm always a step behind. Um, I'm, I'm still responding. It's still kind of a knee jerk to what fires erupted today. Everybody feels a little bit of that. But I, I think those who had a plan mapped out for what they were really going to work on in the next year, in the next two years, I think they had an easier time navigating that a very strong pace of change that they had to deal with. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I think that you you also saw, you know, you mentioned the the growth of independent market share and and again, I would just underscore this as one of the strengths of an independent retailer where you saw some of the big box retailers really struggling to have that kind of agility because, you know, they're working on systems that that they have to replicate 2000 plus times yeah. in 2000 plus markets. Whereas the average independent can say, my solution is to hand out my cell phone number. And so let's make it happen. Right. Uh, you know, and, and within a day, you have some kind of ad hoc, uh, you know, uh, by uh, byproduct, pick it up curbside. Um, and, and and a lot of it was responding to these kind of changing customer expectations that we've talked about that a lot. But but I'm interested in your reflections because there's been so many things that have changed for our uh, uh, you know contingent uh, or uh, our uh, retailers that, that are really coming from different needs for their customers. Yeah, and it plays right into what you were talking about when when you've got someone who has. Uh, the ownership mentality, running their business, and it is an independent local concern, and they have the decisive action and authority to make decisions on behalf of the enterprise, and they can respond in the middle of the, in the middle of the challenges of the day, uh, particularly where you have evolving customer demands. I, I think that it goes right back to your point of agility in the face of evolving, rapidly evolving customer demands, uh, and and expectations 
Uh, so, you know, they're getting thrown back and forth. Will, will we even be permitted to stay open? Right. Is this just going to be curbside? Oh, I can open my door. Some some places had limits on the number of people that could be on the mm-hmm. retail sales floor. I got to address that. Some had other restrictions. Uh, some had no yeah. <laughs> restrictions yeah. other than masks. You know, I, so they had to navigate all that in the face of not just customer expectations, but sort of a temporary regulatory environment that they had to grapple with as well. Did a remarkable job because of what you just said, the agility that they have. The fourth clip comes from episode 69, which was released in August 2022. In this episode, Dan and I spoke with Gina Schaefer, founder and CEO of A Few Cool Hardware Stores, a chain of 12 stores in the Mid-Atlantic. She talked about her new memoir, Recovery Hardware, a nuts and bolts story about building a business, restoring a community, and renovating lives. This book details her experience hiring employees who are in recovery from addiction and the rewarding experience of giving people second chances. In the episode, she offered suggestions for retailers interested in finding ways for their business to offer new opportunities for those looking for a second chance. In this clip, she introduces her book and talks about learning how her business impacted the community it was a part of. But in addition to being the owner of a few cool hardware stores and running this operation, you're going to have another title to add to your resume, and that's author. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, that's that's super exciting. And right before our podcast, uh, it looks like you just got the first copy of the book. And the book you wrote is called, and I want to make sure I get this right, Recovery Hardware, a nuts and bolts story about building a business, restoring a community, and renovating lives. And that's going to be coming out in just a couple weeks here. T- tell us a little bit about what motivated you to write this book and a little bit of a kind of a preview about what what's in the book. So, uh, Dan, this is really my first interview about the book, so I'm getting chills because it's so exciting to talk about it. Um, uh, Yeah, thank you for that. So when we opened Logan Hardware, uh, the neighborhood had been destroyed by the riots in the 60s when Martin Luther King was assassinated. So Logan Circle was um, had so much potential and historically beautiful, but had been dormant for several decades. And so when we opened here, we opened in the midst of a, of a, a renaissance in this neighborhood, if you will. People were moving back. The boards were coming off the windows. And um, it was becoming the place that it, it truly had been before and, and even better in a lot of regards. So that's what we opened up into. And then down the street was this wonderful recovery clinic, uh, the Whitman Walker Clinic, um, oh. that was funded in, in, in the past in part by Elizabeth Taylor. And so it was very it was oh. a very special part of the neighborhood that had that had maintained its presence here. And several of our first teammates came from the recovery program at Whitman Walker. And so. Oh. Um, fast forward, I think it was probably 14 years later after we opened, one of those guys said, you know, the community calls this place recovery hardware. And <laughs> I did not know that it was, it was, um, you know, one of those moments where you gasp and you can't actually yeah. relive it to, to what it really was because it was so meaningful. And I thought, gosh, what a great name for a book. I didn't want to really talk about building a hardware business. I wanted to yeah. talk about building a community and that name really embodied what we've tried to do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of building off of that, Gina, um, when you um, when you first opened the store and you started working with people and bringing people on who were in this world and were kind of working on their recovery, um, did you have any idea the the role your business would play in and leading to something like that? That's amazing. Being being considered the recovery hardware store for for people who are going through those changes and looking for that second chance. but. Would you have, if you could have looked back, do you think you could have ever predicted that? 
No, not at all. And it's funny, there's so many touchstones in my life when I look back to things that I did. So for example, when I went to college, uh, Wittenberg was the fifth university in the country to mandate community service for graduation. So we had to do community service for our diploma. And uh, and I, I'm, I bring that up because I think that I had a, a history of community involvement and doing things um, it, to help others, for lack of a better phrase. And so um, I think I can look back and see those markers in my life. But no, I mean, I was building a business. I was a tech reject. You know, I'd been laid off four times, which is why I started the hardware business. So I went from, you know, software to hardware, which to me felt like going from something very intangible to something tangible. So in that regard, maybe I thought I could do something to help the community. But, you know, when you're a new entrepreneur and you're trying to figure out what 20,000 items in your hardware store do um, and how to make paint and keys, you're not thinking really about what you're doing in the greater landscape of your neighborhood. Well, you know, it's this is such a. Uh, an important topic and and not not just in, and I want to talk to you a little bit more deeper about the topic of the book but it's something that we preach all the time I mean so many so often when you hear headlines about businesses and obviously you know it's it's usually not small business that's making the headlines but it's it, it's more about businesses that take from the communities and businesses that find ways to um uh, to take advantage in one way or another. Yep. Uh, and, and we always preach here, one of the things that, that people like Renee or myself feel good about coming to work is that we're helping the other side of that. And there are so many stories of small businesses, and, and you're certainly one of the, should be one of the big headlines among those stories that, that go that extra mile to try and help their communities in ways that, that you don't often see from a lot of those larger corporations. And, and it's one of the things that when we, when I'm sitting next to someone on the plane and we talk about what we're doing for a living, you know, we, we emphasize how, you know, it's really small businesses that help build their communities and are doing things like this. Um, but, you know, let, let's just talk for a second about the topic of the book and, and, and where you guys started of, of really taking a chance in some ways of saying, hey, we're going to be this business that that as Renee put it, you know, you're giving people kind of a second chance and really trying to help them on their road to recovery. What would you tell other retailers or business owners uh, about that, that don't really understand that? How do you even broach that topic of of trying to help people? Because a lot of people would say, ah, you know, I have a hard enough time running my business. I want to kind of steer clear of the extra, you know, drama. How do you even kind of dive into considering something like that? Well, you know, it was a happy accident because our first uh, our first employees, our first applicants were members of that community that okay. were going to the recovery center. So, we didn't we didn't seek out a specific population to hire or not hire. I would say um over the years and I've heard so many of the arguments, um we have to as we have to as business owners think about our communities, the pockets of applicants that we have. Think about, you know, I'm so tired of hearing people talk about the great resignation and how they can't find employees. Right. When we as a, as a society tend to discount entire populations of potential applicants. And so I think there's that. Right. I also think if um, historically, I, and I, I tell the story in the book, one of my, one, the very first employee that stole from us was a middle class 26 year old from Michigan whose family owned a small business. Um, he was a college graduate. He was articulate. He didn't have a criminal past. No one would have hired him and thought 
oh my gosh, he might steal from me. But the second I start telling someone that I hired someone from a recovery program or a returning citizen, they immediately think the negative. Whereas, you know, it was the first guy that I had to fire. And so it was a really good lesson for me early on to, to just level the playing field. Everybody can do good. Everyone can do bad. You know, I say in the book, uh, don't judge everyone by the best or worst thing they've ever done. Um, and we have to think about that holistically. Often if I'm, you know, if I'm giving a speech and I'm talking to an audience about uh, the topic of the book, or perhaps it's to a group of HR folks and, and I'm mentioning some of our, our team, um, we, we talk about like sort of dispelling the myths, getting rid of the stereotypes, um, placing, uh, matching the, the job description with the person that you need and what, who's in your community. Um, I mean, I'm babbling a little bit, but I, I think we, we tend to be very short-sighted about the, the people that can do the job that we need them to do. The fifth and final episode we're going to showcase today comes from episode 70, which came out in September 2022. Melanie and I had a conversation with Travis Detter, president of Spectrum Paint Company, which he co-founded in 1986. It has grown to over 600 employees with 92 stores in 10 states and growing, making it the largest independent paint dealer in the United States. This was a really fun episode for me because it, it was a chance to get to know one of the independent retail leaders in the paint industry, which our association is working hard at building strong relationships with. If you want to be inspired by a retailer who found a way to grow and is continuing to grow, then go back and listen to this episode. In this clip, Travis shares his advice for retailers on growing their own operation. So one last question uh, for any listener who's hearing this and, and, you know, maybe they have a couple stores or maybe they haven't even expanded to a second and they're going, how do I, you know, start getting this path going? What advice would you have for them? And I'm not necessarily saying, here's how you go from one to a hundred, but some general yeah. advice you give to someone who's, who's trying to, to start expanding. Well, you know, I, I, I remember going to an all pro meeting, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago and asking for a show, I put on a sales presentation. I asked for a show of hands of who had, who had outside salespeople mm-hmm. and, and a, a room of 40 people, maybe two or three raised their hands. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a big change, but we still see a lot of independent dealers that don't have outside salespeople. And I think that's, if you want to grow, even before you open that second store is, is try to develop a sales program and, and you can't yeah. give it three months. You got to give it, you know, a, a year, two years, uh, to be successful. Um, but I think, you know, that's, you know, if you're not out in front of your customers on the job site, somebody else is. And it, and, and the other thing is don't be afraid to compete with anybody. Uh, yeah. you know, independent paint dealers are as competitive now, uh, as ever, um, you know, with the national companies, which you really, you know, you, you, only, you got the two national companies of PPG and Sherwin Williams. But uh, I think independent retailer, retailers are, are uh, kind of making a resurgence. I mean, for the first yeah. 20 years I was in business, they were on the decline, uh, on the decline. But I think now that uh, the last few years we've seen them rebound, especially in 2021, we. Uh, I think the independent dealers gained a lot of market share uh, from Sherwin Williams when they were dealing with their uh, supply issues. Yeah. Are there any other things in the paint industry that you see um, kind of changing how the independent dealer does business in the next, you know, five, 10 years? What are some things that, that are, you know, on your mind? Well, we're definitely paying attention to the uh, ability for 
contractors, especially these younger contractors coming up, we want them to be able to order on their phone uh, or, you know, from their computer. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to imagine. Uh, you know, I think there's some people that think that's going to drastically change in the next three or four years. And, and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm one that doesn't. I think that, you know, I, I'm still close enough to, to, to know the guys I know, the customers I know would rather call you up and tell you, Hey, remember that paint I bought last week? I need 10 more gallons. And you look yeah. at the color and get it out to my job site tomorrow. And that's going to be quicker than him trying to research the color and enter it on a phone and, and hope he gets the right paint. Yeah. He'd rather blame, blame it on the paint store. And I think <laughs> that as an independent, we need to make sure that we're giving them the best customer service possible because uh, I think I think probably the, the nationals may lean towards more of a, uh, an economic version of taking care of customers and, and uh, that's not always uh, the best way to take care of a customer but we definitely got to have that option for them totally totally well I think those are all our questions is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners today Travis uh, not that I can think of it's uh you know, one of the things that we're able to do is is and is some of the acquisitions we're doing this year. I mean, uh, you know, people get close to retirement. They don't have a succession plan. And, uh, um, you know, that's that, so th- those have been many of the acquisitions we've, we've made or uh, people that have just they've ran their business for 20 or 30 years or 40 or 50 years. And, and, and uh, you know, they come time to retire or their health is failing them and and. You know, we've been in, uh, able to, to to make those acquisitions. So, you know, as I guess to follow up to one of your questions a while ago, so if people are looking out there, I think, you know, pay attention to some of those opportunities that are around you because we're only wanting to expand and around where we already have existing stores. Every once in a while we break off into a new area, but, uh, you know, that's not our, you know, we're not going to buy a store in the middle of uh Pennsylvania or New Jersey or anything like that, right? Idaho, right? Well, that was fun. It felt like it was our very own version of Spotify Wrapped, if I do say so myself. Uh, I want to thank the guests from these episodes and all the other episodes we released this year. To all the amazing retailers, industry leaders, and more that took time out of their busy schedules to talk with us in 2022, thank you. And as we gear up for a new year, we are already starting to plan many more uh, people and topics we want to highlight for our listeners. If there's someone you're dying to hear from in the industry, or maybe you have a story you want to tell, please don't be shy. Send me an email at rch. A-N-G-N-O-N at your, Y-O-U-R-N-H-P-A dot org and let me know what story you want us to hear. Have a wonderful holiday season and happy new year. We'll see you all soon uh, for next year's round of podcast episodes. Bye.